Hello, and welcome to Genesee Valley Church's online podcast. At GVC, our mission is simple. It's to love God, love people, and love life. This year, we want to reach further into the glory and the presence of our God and experience Him like we never have before. This year is going to be different. Can you feel it? I know you will be blessed by the message and the word that God has for you today. Here we go. <laughs> we are As in the we're mid- talking about the facts of life. <laughs> That's right. This is husband and wife. This is real life stuff. Yes. And so uh, we we live a real life, have a real marriage, have real kids. And uh, obviously, just because you're a pastor, it doesn't mean that your life is all peaches and cream. Yeah, it's it's, you know, in fact, I would say that, you know, being a Christian and actually being in ministry, uh, it, it has a, it puts a, a bullseye on your life. Because you, you understand that to live for God, it's an intentional lifestyle. And obviously the enemy doesn't want you to find the evidence. Again, that keeps coming back up. But the evidence of God's goodness in your life. And so therefore, uh, I think the enemy works overtime on the lives of our kids and our marriages simply because we are the light in the darkness. And so uh, as we talk today, uh, we're talking about the facts of life. If you recall, last week we started to talk about marriage because marriage is the foundation of really the family unit. Um, and, and obviously that doesn't mean that you have to be married, but uh, again, the, the beginning of the family starts with a husband and a wife, typically, or at least that's God's plan. And again, not being critical if things are a little bit out of sorts, but understanding that God has a design. How many of you know that God has a design for success? And so as a result, those designs come with boundaries and therefore God's helping us navigate in this life to have success. And so today we're going to look at the facts of life concerning family. And once again, it's going to go along with what we were talking about in the light, in the light of boundaries. And how many of you know that boundaries uh, were established by God? God established boundaries with his first family, with the first marriage, with the first kids, and said that I am purposing to establish boundaries in your life. And boundaries are not meant to be bad, but they're meant to be good. Does anybody agree with that? And so uh, they're not meant to limit us. And this is really, again, where the rubber meets the road. Boundaries were never meant to be limitations on us, but it was actually uh, uh, to bring about security and safety and stability in the mix of a family. And once again, if we'll embrace that, God will cause us to succeed and accelerate in just the plans and the purposes that he has for our life. And for that matter, if you think about it, uh, boundaries are like guardrails. You know, a few years back, I went on a motorcycle ride with some pastors. We went out to South Dakota. And when you get out there, there's a lot of mountains and the switchbacks and you're, you're on these winding roads and, and when you take a big turn oftentimes on the edge of that road is a cliff but on the majority of their roads are guardrails protecting you from going over the edge and never once did I hear any of the guys that I was with like dear God did you see that they put boundaries up I mean they're trying to really mess with our ride today I mean if we could only be free to do what we want to do no the reality is is that those guardrails produced a security and produced safety and gave us the ability to ride with confidence because there were guardrails. And once again, when you understand that guardrails are for your benefit or boundaries are for your benefit, you, re, you, you, you 
actually receive them or are eager to respond to them than reject them. Can anybody say amen? And obviously we understand that when it comes to our children, uh, if, if you ever think back to your life, there were those boundaries in your life, and you pushed back against them, you rejected them, but as you got older, how many of you are like, man, I'm so glad that there were some boundaries in my life that, that, that saved my life, right? And so when you think about boundaries, we said this last week, that boundaries are meant to be passed down or to be passed on from one generation to the next. And one of the things on the converse, if you will, we looked at it from the standpoint of fear, of anxiety, of depression or stress or poverty. How many of you know that those are boundaries that are not, uh, 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 they're, they're traits that are passed down from one generation to the next, right? If you can look at your life and think, man, my life is filled with anxiety. My, my life is filled with depression. My life is filled with fear or how we govern our life. If you'll look back at your upbringing, you'll find that your family or the facts of life concerning your family created probably those fears or anxieties that begin to govern your own personal life, right? Does that make sense? I mean, I look at that in myself and, and you start to see the things that shaped your life. The standpoint of poverty, you realize that poverty is a boundary, and if you've ever looked at individuals, again, just the studies show that if you were raised in poverty, you will develop poverty mentalities that will cause you to reproduce the cycle of which you live. And so without God's help, without God's help, we will continue to be limited by the natural boundaries of our life. And so when we're talking about this this morning, it's not just a natural thing. We're saying, God, we want your help to help us in this life to experience God's best. And so when we look, right now we're doing the facts of life and the boundaries according to raising kids. So last week we did marriage, and so we're looking at raising kids, and those boundaries help shape mm -hmm. our kids. They actually shape us and our kids. But right. when we look over in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, one translation says, direct your children onto the right path, and when they're older they will not leave it, Another translation says, start children off on the way they should go. Mm -hmm. When you think about that, just for a moment as a parent, it's like, wow, I thought this was like all fun and like cuddly <laughs> and you mean I have a responsibility. Oh yeah, and it's a really big one. And so it makes me think of shaping children. You know, a lot of times we look at shaping children and when we're first time parents, I know we have some first-time parents here. Matt and Terry just had their new baby. But remember those people that have like two, three, four, five, and the list goes on. Mm -hmm. But when you first were the first parent, it was all about, oh, they're so cuddly, and this is going to be fun, and we get to go home. Remember the ride home? And then... And panic. And then it <laughs> walked in the house, and then... <laughs> the cry starts, though. All the work starts, and the load yeah. But remember your mindset then, and it's almost like we got to change our mindsets over to thinking, okay, I got to shape this child mm -hmm. in the way that they're going to go. And statistics show or say that the first few years mm -hmm. up till the age of seven is when we need to install everything for life. This long journey ahead of them into adulthood starts... Mm -hmm. When we brought them home 
and the structures and the disciplines and the systems, even when they're babies, those systems and structures that we follow or that we don't follow, we sh that show up when they become ages eight to 12. Mm -hmm. Good or bad, whether we did it or not, well, I've been meaning to do that. Now they're eight or now they're 12. And like, boy, I better get on that one. <laughs> so making your bed, just simple things. We're talking about just structure mm -hmm. of life. And so when you get into the teen year, the middle years, then they call it kind of like the cruising stage or left. Okay, we're going to sit back and see how our systems are working and our structure. But during that time is a great time to evaluate Mm -hmm. what we've been doing. The Bible talks a lot about that. You judge yourself. We're not mm -hmm. judging others, but look at what you're doing. Is it working for you? Is it not? Maybe we should make some correction and change some things. Have you done that? Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm doing that along with my kids because you start seeing some things that you don't like so much that maybe you've just implemented just by doing it. And so then when they become teenagers, a lot of times we want to check out and say, you know what? I don't know how to deal with this. I can't do this. I can't deal. And then we just let them go on their own. But it's not the time to totally mentally check out. We have to be all in with our children and structuring. And it's an everyday thing, an every hour thing. And can we, can we slough off for a month? Really? No. Mm -hmm. You might want to take a break, but really you got to come back and step back in and you have to be the parent. That's right. And, and what she's talking about, you know, she's talking about those systems that you put in place. And really when we talk about systems, it's talking about structure and discipline for our families. And obviously that comes into uh, an existence of where we as mom and dad, as husband and wife, set the example for the household to follow, right? But if you think about it from the standpoint of setting those systems and structure, what it does is it allows life to be navigated along the way. As she said, you know, uh, we don't have the opportunity or the privilege just to check out when our kids get a certain age. I remember uh, a pastor friend of ours uh, over in Pittsburgh, he's kind of one of those guys that just mentors, uh, I, I go visit with him uh, from time to time. And I'll never forget, this is probably like three years ago, he said, it's amazing. His church is, oh, I don't know, they're probably around 5,000 people. And he said, it's always amazed me, he says, when I watch parents that their kids turn 14 years of age and then the parents just take their hands off and let their kids just run wild. And he said, and that's one of the most crucial periods of life. And so the systems or the structure or the disciplines that we're talking about are things that will begin to help navigate their lives when all of a sudden they come up against a decision or a crossroad. I mean, anybody use a, a GPS, right? Well, how many of you know that you can set the course for where your destination wants to be or where you want to go? But when you come to a place of transition, how many of you know that the GPS starts talking to you a whole lot more? Right? I mean, you can be cruising, and it, when the GPS says the next interchange is 144 miles, it don't say nothing to you. But when you start getting closer to that interchange or where you're changing to a new highway, it will start to say 10 miles ahead. Re well, yeah, it will say rerouting, or it will say uh, ahead, uh, take exit so-and-so. 
And then as you get closer, it says, you know, one mile away. It'll say 300 yards away. Take, get in the left-hand lane. What's it doing? The closer that you're getting to the place of needing to make a decision, now it's starting to get your attention. And so much like that, the disciplines and the structures that she's talking about are those things that will begin to shape us in the moment and the times that they're needed. Does that make sense? And for that matter, you know, when we look at the current culture, when we look at things that are going on in this world uh, with the, the, the coronavirus, with the government, with all those different things, if I was to sit down and have a conversation with your child, whether they were a teenager or whether they were uh, in their preteen years, if I started to have a conversation with them and ask them questions about the COVID virus or ask them questions about politics, I could tell what you as a parent believe. Right? Well, why? Because they're hearing it and you're modeling it in front of them because that's what is the influence in their home. I can remember my son. Uh, we were around some family members, so just a few months back, and, and they're not a family that is uh, serving the Lord. And so my son, concerning the, the I don't know if it was uh, the election or what it was, but my son's response was something of a faith-based answer. Well, his answer or response was something that he heard mom and dad say. And I started to laugh because it almost made me feel uncomfortable because I'm thinking they don't believe like we believe, guy. And then she started laughing and she said, well, you sure know what he's being taught. And she wasn't saying that to be malicious, but she was identifying I know that at least he has a belief system because of mom and dad. And so you are shaping the life of children for as long as they're with you. And so it is a big, big responsibility. Amen? Amen. And so how many of you know that we teach what we know, but we reproduce what we are? It's real easy to say, don't do that. And I go, well, that's what you do. So once again, we've got to be so intentional in this life. So let's look at the marks of a healthy family. What is a healthy family? What is it that we have to be intentional with? Because again, how many of you understand that a healthy family is not by mistake or does not happen by mistake? And so as a family or a healthy family relationship, it's cultivated, it's not inherited. I'll say that again. A healthy family is not something that you inherit. It's something that we cultivate. So that means that if you look at your life, you look at your family, you look at your household, and you're like, man, dear God, there's a lot of chaos going on here at this house, then that means there's hope. I said there's hope because it's not something that is just by osmosis. It's not something that, well, some get it and some don't. No, it's something that is intentional. So if we're looking and saying, man, I want a different landscape in my home, then there's hope for you. There's hope for me. Amen. Amen. <laughs> and so we reproduce who we are, right? good or bad. And so when we look at a healthy families, we have some um, positive characteristics, we'll say it like that, that are of, that healthy families have. And so it's really good just to, you can even write them down, but we can evaluate our families, but remember, we can always make correction, make adjustments, mm -hmm. and um, make it better for our kids and us. But number one, healthy families share core values that all members embrace 
and submit to. Mm -hmm. So that means we, we have values um, that we hold to and everyone in our family holds to it. So that means um, we don't do certain things because of our values. Mm -hmm. We do do certain things because of our values. Mm -hmm. And so can a family live peaceably if individual members disagree on the meaning and importance of honesty, kindness, generosity, truthfulness, respect, mm -hmm. there's a big one in this day and time, respect, honor, obedience, fairness, friendship. Without these in a family, anarchy or fighting happen when everyone does what they think is right or wrong in their own eyes. And so that's why then everybody gets divided. Everybody's here and there, and just doesn't seem like there's a unit in the family because the values are all over the place. Everybody's living their own, own values. Mm -hmm. But no, in a family, a God-given family, we can cultivate values that our kids, and instill those in our kids, and we all submit to them. Those boundaries, or excuse me, those values, what she's referring to, once again, are really boundaries within a family unit. And so, without a consistent standard of right and wrong, there's no action or there's no behavior that is shameful. Now, let me elaborate on that, because again, there's this, this culture in which we live in, and again, I, I think it's coined as cancel culture, if you will, but it's basically like everything, we're just purposing to make everything okay. We're purposing just to pacify everything because, again, we want to be politically correct with everything within our life. But without a standard of right and wrong, there is no conviction of what is shameful. And once again, I'm not saying shameful from a standpoint of where we're shaming our children, but I'm saying behavior that becomes shameful. For instance, generations ago, and, and I, I think that I was in that generation probably at the tail end of that, but there was, there was something to be said for having a healthy respect for elders. Anybody remember those days? And I can remember as, as a kid, uh, you know, when you're with your buddies, and again, I'm talking about when you're young and you're just kind of living wild and fast and all that kind of thing. You know, your vocabulary is not necessarily the best vocabulary, right? But as a teenage... Uh, I, I know. <laughs> Revealing some things to my wife today. But there were some things that, you know, again, the conversation that you have with your buddies is not the conversation that I would ever have with an adult. The reason being is because I just would not allow myself to have or use certain vocabulary in front of an adult because again it was just a boundary that I did not cross does that make sense and I believe that the culture that we're living in today that that there are young people and families without boundaries and so therefore there is no healthy respect for authority there's no healthy respect for uh, elders and, and I remember uh, again uh, my parents always love it when I share my personal stories because they always take it personal well, again it's just how do you help people unless you tell people your story, right? I got dirt. I got junk. My wife, I'll tell you hers later. But anyway, <laughs> but when I was hanging around with the wrong crowd, you know, somebody ended up giving me a, an, an ID of, of, of a guy that was old enough to be legal. And uh, so we were in this little party store. 
And, uh, you know, we put our product up on the counter, and so I handed my ID, and he says, uh, what's your name? And I said, I'm so-and-so. And just as I'm saying I'm so-and-so, a cop walks in, and I'm like, crud. And so the clerk gets nervous, and he hands the ID to the officer. And the officer says, uh, and what is your name? And I said, my name is so-and-so. He said, where do you live? I said, I live at some and I gave him the address. He says, this is not you. I said, really, that's a bad picture. He said, this is not you. I'm like, okay. And so I left, thought it was a done deal. Well, then when I got home, mom and dad happened to be awake. It's never a good sign. And so they're like, hey, how you doing? Oh, how's tonight? Great. Hey, had a good time. You know, we just, I don't remember what we did, but yeah, we had a good time. And I started to walk up the stairs and my dad says, hey, Frank, before you go, come here. And I go, oh. <laughs> and so we have this conversation. It's going down. It's going down. Well, then my, my dad proceeded to tell me, he says, yeah, there was a police officer that called your grandfather. He ran your last name and called your grandfather, and your grandfather called me and told me. You know, it was bad that my dad and my mom found out, but it was horrible that my grandfather because my grandfather put me on this pedestal, and I did not want my grandfather to know that I was a punk. You know what I mean? And so there was this shame that came, like, oh, my behavior was something that caused me to regret my decisions. Why? Because there was some standards that were in the home. And so it's our responsibility to establish those boundaries so that it convicts the moral conduct of our lifestyles and as well as our kids. That's some good stuff. And so it leads us into our second characteristic of a healthy family is healthy families recognize that maintaining the marriage is a priority for family health. Mm -hmm. It's not just for mom and dad, but it's for the family. Every child longs for the security that a healthy marriage brings, that a healthy marriage brings to the family. The desire to know that mom and dad love each other doesn't diminish over time with kids. Mm -hmm. Wow. And so when parents, it made me think of, you know, um, you, have, you know just families all over. You've had friends growing up or your own families. But when parents are arguing back and forth and bickering just all the time, nagging, just that's the constant noise in a house, that tells kids, Mom and dad don't love each other, or mom doesn't like that, or mm -hmm. I don't think dad likes mom. They argue all the time. And so <laughs> as they get bigger, it still sticks with them. Mm -hmm. Do we ever think of that? No. Probably not. <laughs> but then it also makes me think of just my childhood growing up. I, my parents were divorced when I was eight years old. That's young. I mean, that's younger than my son is. And my kids don't know not having a mom and dad mm -hmm. but when i was their age it was all mom <laughs> mom and my sisters and growing up i never thought like we were the oddballs family you know the different because it just you it's your norm mm -hmm. right it was my norm and so but i always longed to know my dad and to be loved by a dad, to know my dad, to have a relationship with my dad. And you know I am 45. 
<laughs> Sometimes I still say I'm 44, and the kids are like, you're 45, Mom. I'm like, oh, thanks, thanks. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Keep me in check. <laughs> Just a number now. <laughs> but even now, because still all through the years, remember, that was my norm. Mm-hmm. And so all through the years, I still would love to have a really close relationship with my dad. Even though I talk to my dad and we go visit and there's nothing there. It's just like, hey, dad, you know, but there's still something there. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like underlying. And I don't, it just is. Mm-hmm. And so kids, it doesn't diminish over time. We want to know and have the security of mom and dad together. They love each other. And it brings such a strength to the unit of a family. Amen. Number three, a healthy family. Once again, these are seven principles or seven marks of a healthy family. Number three is a family that communicates with each other. Now, again, this talks about the husband and the wife, the mother and father, but it's also uh, trickling down to the relationship with the children. And when you think about communication, oftentimes we think about what we're saying, but you realize that there are three sides of communication. There's what is said, there's what is heard, and then there's what is understood. And so when it comes to communication, we can't just be doing all the talking. There has to be an environment of listening. And so that also means that when it comes to listening, it brings stability and security that I'm being heard. Uh, Maybe you were raised in a family where it was more dictatorship. Mom and dad just told you what the rules are. You do it because, well, there is no if, ands, or buts. There is no why. It's just I said so. Well, again, if there's no opportunity for listening or communication, then once again, it starts to break down the stability of a relationship. And a statistic show that relationships or families that do not communicate well together do not stay together over the years. And, and, you know, that's kind of a hard statement, but yet it's true because I can reflect on my own personal life. And, and some of it just has to do with just the context of how the family is. Uh, my sister and I were 10 years apart. And so when I'm 16 years old, you know, back then, you know, when you're 16, you want to drive a car. You know, nowadays when they turn 16, they want to get a cell phone, you know. But if you're old enough, you know, it's like, man, I want to get out of here. I want to take off, man. I want to drive, go hang out with my friends. Well, so when I'm 16 years old, you know, I'm hanging out with my buddies, you know, then you get older, you start dating. Well, then your, your sister is 10 years younger, so five, six, seven years old. Then I go off to, to Bible college in Oklahoma. And so there's all this distance between her and I. And so there was lack of communication. And then in our adult years, you know, we tried to stay in touch, but the commu- communication hasn't been very good. And so as a result of that, there's really kind of a disconnect. And again, it's nobody's fault. It's just the fact of the matter that when there's the breakdown of communication or closeness, as you get older, there is a separation that this naturally takes place. And so, I mean, do we stay in touch? Yeah. But, you know, if you used to ask me, uh, how many kids did my sister have? Um, six, seven, eight? Well, how many does she have? I don't know. Does she have a new one? She's got a new one coming, don't she? Yes. But then if you said, well, how many girls and how many boys? Yeah, then I'd have to think about it. When you, how old are their kids? I'd have to think about it. What's their kids' names? <laughs> and my point is, is just there's a lack of communication. And some of that has, has to do with just where that communication was growing up. Again, not anything right, wrong, or 
uh, indifferent. It just happens to be the way that it was. And so you might find that in your own life. And in fact, for that matter, that was one of the things. She is uh, 12 years apart from her older sister, uh, five years or six years between the next one. My sister and I were 10 years apart. And so when we had kids, I said, we are having them close. Our kids are going to be growing up together. They're going to be friends. And that was the intentionality behind it, so that there was a more closeness with our, our kids. My daughter says, thanks. Thanks a lot. <laughs> she has a sister that's not that far from her. <laughs> yes. When you're closer, sometimes you can fight a little bit. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And so the next characteristic is, in healthy families, parents are not afraid to say, I was wrong. To what? <laughs> You're not afraid to say, I'm, I was wrong. I, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. Or maybe I said that in a wrong tone. Or maybe I lashed out at you and you didn't do anything wrong. I'm sorry. And give a hug. When you make a mistake, it's not only acceptable, but it's important that you admit it. Mm -hmm. And so what are you doing? You're showing your children to do the same. That when they mess up, they can admit it. They can come and say, I'm sorry. I'm going to change the way I'm doing that. But a lot of times, I'm big on this, and if you've been around for any length of time, you know that I've said this before. It bridges the gap between you and your child. Mm -hmm. When you're always the right fighter parent, always the authoritative parent that's like, you know what? You're going to do it my way, no way. It's just always this voice in their head. Mm -hmm. And they're not going to come to you. Oh, no. You'll be the last person they're going to come to if they're wrong. I don't want my kids to feel that way toward me. But if I do that in front of them, when I'm wrong, you know what? I apologize. Give them a hug. It bridges the gap, and it softens hearts. That's right. In which God is all about softening hearts, bringing peace, and being together. Something that you said also just kind of triggered a thought as well in regards to how you said it is always that authoritative voice. And I think this is one of those things that we've also got to understand is that when it comes to our, our children, this is also applicable to grandparents, is that there are different seasons in the life of our children. Because in those younger years, you are the authoritative voice in their life. As they get older, you've got to give them permission to make decisions for themselves. Because if you become the heavy hand all the time, all the time, all the time, into their teenage years, when God has created them to become their own person, then they reject you as an individual. And so you've got to learn how to morph as a parent, as a husband, as a wife, as a grandparent, as those children grow. Because once again... You cannot just parent the same way all, all, all the way through. You've got to learn how to shift and shape as, as they get older as well. All right, so number five, uh, healthy families choose conflict resolution rather than conflict avoidance. In other words, we're not going to run from conflict. And this is kind of a tricky one at times. And again, some of it will also have to, to be applicable as to how we were raised in our homes. But sometimes there are parents that they're, uh, they're afraid of the conflict or to address things because I don't want my child to get mad at me. I don't want them to, to resent me. I don't want them to not uh, uh, accept me or love me anymore. But what ends up happening is if we do not... Uh, uh, address the conflict and just avoid it, what ends up happening is it causes 
frustrated uh, kids. It causes frustrated families. It causes bitterness and resentment within the home. And so we've got to be settled in the fact that, you know what? We've got to have conflict resolution to get down to the very bottom of what's going on. I've shared this story before, and, uh, you know, when it comes to my wife and I, uh, we came from different backgrounds in terms of just the, the marriages uh, in the, the family units. And I remember the, the first year, or maybe it was the second year we were married, we, we uh, well, in fact, there's a couple things. Uh, you know, when you're young and you're just, you know, running at the mouth, you know. nervous as his story is <laughs> on me. <laughs> Well, no, this isn't just her. I'm just saying this is as families in general. You know, when you're young and you start running your mouth, well, why don't we just get a divorce then? Why don't we just get a divorce? If you don't like it, then let's just get it over with. Well, so then you start making foolish statements or you give yourself permission to talk foolishly. It plants a seed. And so early on, we just said, you know what? We will not use that vocabulary in our house. It's unacceptable. I don't care how mad you are. We are not going to say, why don't we just get a divorce? Because we're not going to plant the seed. And then there was one particular time where uh, we were fussing and fighting and, you know, she gets up and leaves the room. You know, this is at nighttime, we're fussing and she goes out and gets on the couch. And I said, what are you doing? She said, well, I'm not sleeping in there. I'm sleeping on the couch. I'm like, we are not doing this. We are not going to start our marriage being in separate rooms because of a fight. We are going to figure this out. If we got to stay up all night long, we're not going to bed angry and we're not going to bed separated. And so we're going to have this resolved or at least come to a place of resolution. I'm thinking about it. It's making me laugh. Yeah, because I'm not telling the one part. You want me to tell that part? No. Okay. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Praise the Lord. No back on this chair. <laughs> All right. I, I started to fall back and there was oh, no back on the chair. All right. Okay, you're next. <laughs> I, think, I think Matt did that on purpose. Let's see, let's see if we can have some fun. <laughs> so I was just trying to not go to bed angry. You know, the Bible says don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Mm -hmm. and so I was trying to follow the Bible and then... He came along, <laughs> but that was a, a funny night now. <clears throat> Number six. Number Praise six. the Lord. Number six. We got to get moving. Yes, we do. Healthy families make time to be with each other and to attend one another's events. So we go to each other's events. We don't just stay home and say, well, why don't you go? But cultivating a sense of family identity. We give each other time. It has been well said that a child spells love, do you know, T-I-M-E, right. time. So your kids want you. They want to know you. They want to spend time with you. They want to be with you. And that is their love, you showing them love. If you don't have time, you make time. Healthy families carve out time to come together and recharge their relational batteries. And so that means family nights. Yeah. We, so many times we have family nights and then it seems like we don't do anything or we do something different. I'm like, oh, we have to do this on this night, family night. If it doesn't happen, then you make it happen the next night. You on purpose do it. Just a couple weeks ago, we took our kids on purpose. We thought they like to go sledding and tubing and doing all that snow stuff and being out in the cold. And so we took them a couple days. It was only like a day and a half. Mm -hmm. And we took them up north. We stayed in a hotel overnight, so they got to go swimming. We went out to eat. We did a little bit of shopping. And then the next day, we went tubing. Out in the snow, freezing cold, frigid. 
And we pushed through it. (laughs) But they had a fun time. But it was just family. We didn't talk about church. We didn't talk about this or that. We just had fun together and hung out together. So time with your kids. You got to unhook, go, and do it on purpose. Amen. And this wrapping up this number seven, healthy families have a corporate sense of responsibility with all the members. In other words, what that means is that we chip in. Everybody has an invested role to pitch in and help. And so once again, when you come in and just uh, rescue your children from having to do the chores, you're not setting them up for success. Again, you're, what you're doing is you're, you're empowering them just to rely on other people. And isn't that what our culture does? And so when we do these, these things or when we create an environment for healthy families, what we end up doing is we set boundaries and boundaries will begin to establish the identity of a family and the identity of individuals. Let me give you this real quick example. As a pastor, uh, when you think of a pastor, there are certain boundaries that come with who I am. So you might say, well, you know, when it comes to a pastor, a pastor dresses a certain way. Now, I don't wear a collar or, you know, all that kind of thing. But, you know, you might say a pastor dresses a certain way or a pastor has certain lifestyles or a pastor has certain uh, ways that they talk. Well, what are those boundaries or why is there expectations of that identity because they come with the boundaries? If you were to say, well, uh, what, are the, uh, what are the boundaries of a rock star? Well, once again, you could look at a rock star or a rock and roller, the, the way that they dress, their lifestyle, the way that they talk. Once again, it becomes their identity. And so I, 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 excuse me, boundaries reveal what we believe and it will impart or it will reveal how we act. So a family, your family, my family, has an identity, and those boundaries establish right and wrong thinking, and then ultimately directing the behavior of our lives. And that behavior will lead us to either success or failure, uh, heartache or a life full of joy. And so we work together, and that's the awesome thing about a church, is that you're not just individual families, we're a corporate family. And the Bible says iron sharpens iron. And so hopefully we can grow from one another, learn from one another, and we can cry on each other's shoulders at the time it's needed, and then we can rejoice when the time is needed. Amen? Amen. Well, that's it. Do you feel the glory? Do you feel the filling? I know you do. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast and come back next week for God to move on your behalf again. Want to know more? Check us out online and our social media, all from our website, gvchurch.tv. We are Genesee Valley Church, loving God, loving people, and loving life.